What is a habit? Yeah. Now, I'm very grateful that my parents sent me to boarding school in New Plymouth because I was forced to take Latin because I got a scholarship because I couldn't take it at my local district high school. And the Latin word habitus actually is very interesting from a scriptural point of view. It means a condition or appearance. And sometimes you talk about a, a monk's habit. It's the, it's the stuff we clothe ourselves with. And it's very interesting that the Bible, when it's trying to get us to do good things, it says clothe, clothe yourselves with. And a lot of positive passages about what good habits we should have. Um, a habit, according to one dictionary, is a custom continued so steadily as to develop a tendency or inclination, a physical or moral tendency to keep doing something. And I'm sure we all, we all have those. And the Bible, as I said, teaches uh, a lot about dealing with bad habits. And I'm going to skip over that. And if you can flick through the slides until we get to the one that says I want to talk about good habits. Carry on. Next one. That's the one. What about good habits? We, we all know about bad habits. So what about things that we as Christians can do in our lives that will help us to be closer to God? Remember that so much in the Bible talks about things which the faithful do habitually. And especially in the Old Testament, we know that the Israelites and the Hebrews were people of habit. They, they went to the temple, they prayed, they did good works. Life was very much habitual. And I guess one of the challenges I want to leave you with is, are we, do we come to church purely because it's a habit? Or do we come because it's actually very important? There, are, there is such a thing as a good habit which will bring us closer to the Lord. And I want to, I want to argue that that's the case. We Baptists and others, particularly free churches and Pentecostal churches, have tended to move away from more habitual forms of worship, away from liturgy. And... We don't tend to stick to a liturgy, although it, it might be argued that we Baptists have a liturgy all of our own. You know, we have a few songs, and then we have a prayer, and then we have sermon, and, and then so on. We, we have our, almost our own liturgy. When I first became a Christian, it, it was in uh, um, Elizabeth Street Chapel. And the Open Brethren, some of you I know are from an Open Brethren background. In the Open Brethren, it's supposed to be very spontaneous. You know, someone, some brother gets up and gives a word, but it's usually always the same brother. And, and when, when I was in that church, the women, in fact, never were allowed to get up and give a word. And the thing that drove me away from it in the end was the fact that after going there for three years, the people on the door always said to me, oh, you're, you're new here, aren't you? Um, but anyway, so... What, what are the advantages of, of um, next slide, what, what are the advantages of a spontaneous worship? You know, we, we Baptists tend to think that we have a more spontaneous worship. It can be fresh and new. Somebody like this morning, it was so encouraging, Glenn, to see your group up here. And it was just like the old days to see a multitude of young people, mesh, um, what was the word? Mosh pitting, sorry. I tried to make it into a verb. To see a group of young people <laughs> mosh pitting in the, in the front. And that's fresh and new, and it, and, and it can particularly appeal to young people. I guess one of the reasons why I, even though I love liturgy and I love the quietness of an Anglican worship, one of the reasons why I ended up in the Baptist church is that, that, it, that historically it's tended to cater for our young people perhaps better than the Anglican one has. Uh, you know, we can sing the tops of the Christian hit parade 
although I'm very thankful to people like Charles Dar, who, who always reminds us that there's actually a wonderful um, array of music that we often forget about, that were the tops of the hit parade when I, was a, when I was a teenager or when he was a teenager. And of course, one of the advantages, um, not looking at anyone particular, I can't find him wherever he is, is that if we have a, if we have a more spontaneous uh, form of service, it can either go quite long, like it did this morning, or it can be quite short, and that gives the preacher license to go on for quite, a, quite some time. Whereas when you have a liturgy, it's more difficult. What are some of the disadvantages of sponta- what I call spontaneous worship or non-liturgical worship? I'm going to have to turn around. Yeah, how much do we actually remember about what the Lord is saying through the preacher, for example? You, you very often hear in, in our churches, and particularly in Pentecostal churches, oh, we don't have prophecy. There's no prophecy in the church anymore. Now, I would say that's particularly not, not the case. If, 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 God is, if God is speaking through Rob when he gets up and talks to us, that's very much the foretelling, the foretelling of what God is doing in our midst and challenging us. And he challenges us every Sunday. And I actually write down in my diary, I'm old school, I have a, I have a printed diary, and I write down what the challenges are every, every Sunday. Do we merely allow our worship and our faith to just adapt to the prevailing culture? I, I had found I was at dinner the other night with some dear friends who shall remain nameless, and we discussed this a bit, and I was, I was on the wrong side of the argument, I think, but I still put it out there for you. Do, does our worship merely reflect the cultural character that, that is around us? We don't commit anymore in, in many ways. We don't belong to things. You know, we church hop. We go around, as Rob said, a couple of times recently because there's better music somewhere else. Marriage has gone out of fashion. I was rather shocked the other day to, to um, read that only about 30% of unions of where couples get together are now, are they're now formally married. And as a Christian, maybe I'm old school, but as a Christian, I think that's quite sad. We don't even join sports clubs. You know, I've been a member of Harrier clubs and rugby clubs all my life, but people don't do that anymore. They want to go out and do their own thing and, and run park runs and, and fun runs and stuff. You know, it's all, it's all um, part of this culture. And Romans 12, too, is very interesting, particularly in the J.B. Phillips translation. It says, don't let the world squeeze you into its own mold. And I would challenge you, to think about are we being squeezed into the world's mold in the way that we worship and the way that we approach things. Just, just to throw, throwing that out there. So, and, and, and there's another challenge in Ephesians 4 which says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching or doctrine and by the cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, and each part does its work. I would like to think that that's what we try and do when we come to church. We challenge one another. We meet, we share, we cry, and so on. There are advantages, next slide, of a more liturgical form of worship, like the Anglicans, for example. The repetition often becomes part of us. And I would have to say that when, when I'm at rock bottom and I really can't 
feel like I'm connecting to God in prayer, I am so grateful for the 23rd Psalm and for the Lord's Prayer and the Beatitudes and the Apostles' Creed that I learnt when I was a child at Presbyterian Sunday School. You know, when Rob the other day asked, uh, what comes after this? And he quoted some of the 23rd Psalm. I knew immediately because I'd learnt that as a child and I got a little certificate from my Presbyterian Sunday School and wrote learning. Some of you probably were members of Navigators. Anyone go through Navigators here? One or two. That's what we did, wasn't it? We learnt scripture. And learning of scripture is actually very good. When we feel down or God seems distant, we can always remember the Lord's Prayer or the 23rd Psalm is a favourite of mine. We don't have to think. We just relax into it. There's something about saying the words together which is so powerful. I will never forget, Jackie, when your parents were here and when, when the eldership were trying to break um, a, a spirit of sickness over the church and over the leadership of the church. And all we did was recite scripture get together, but it was so powerful when your parents led it. Reciting scripture together and memorizing scripture is so powerful. And of course, it's very, very good for our children. Next slide. So even if we don't have a liturgy in church, what habits do we need to cultivate? We need to learn to read this thing. And I'm going to read from this if I can lift it up later. Remember that in the 1920s when that was gifted to the church, it wasn't the case that every individual had a Bible or every individual had a, a phone. Um, but the Bible was, had to be read publicly because it was often in that form. We read the Bible individually and corporately. I don't know what system works for you. I've been lucky enough to be part of the Scripture Union family in camps and in Bible reading. And I used to get the Scripture Union notes, which I know Keith Vaughan still helps to pack and send out. I now get it on my phone. There are advantages and disadvantages for that. It means that quite often when I'm reading my daily Bible reading, if I remember, um, it's very quick. Rather, it's, it, I, don't, I don't have that physical act of getting out the the Bible reading notes and reading the text. But anyway, at least I've got it. And, and whatever system floats your boat, whether it's Every Day with Jesus or the Salvation Army one, or I know there's a whole bunch of regular daily Bible readings out there, but do it. Get one that, that works for you. Um, it's, it's very sad that you know, we don't read scripture in schools anymore. I think I've told you this before, but when I went to boarding school in the 60s, a state boys boarding school, we had prayers and Bible readings twice a day. Once at morning assembly, and once at, at, in the evenings uh, before the boarders went to bed. We were read the scriptures. It was amazing to think that that happened in a state secular boys school. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says... All scripture is inspired by God or God breathed and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. Next slide. Now this is the one where you're allowed to switch off. For me, as a person whose faith was forged in the secularist nature of, of the Victoria University, this was critically important. It, the, what I call the philosophical importance of the Bible. The Bible answers what the philosophers call the epistemological question. That's the question is, how do we know and are sure of what we know? Where do we get our information from? 
where do we find out about Jesus or God or on so and so? Where do we get the basis of our of our rules and, and our and our morality in that if we don't if we don't have the Bible? We can find it in other places, but as I'll say in a moment, um, you know, it's it's the most fundamental and most reliable source. So much of Western civilization is based on the Bible. Read um, read some of uh, Jeff Fountain, a good old friend of mine who who was head of YWAM, and he talks about how if Christianity had never existed, most of the the great values of Western civilization would not be there. Human rights, um, you know, take the parable of the of the Good Samaritan, for example. If we didn't have that, and the treatment of another another culture, what Jesus gave us the example, where would we be? So read the scriptures, vitally important. Next next slide. Pray. If you can read that, it says, pray as if your life depends on it, because it probably does. Pray at all times in the spirit. Pray unceasingly. Pray joyfully. I'm so glad Kerry and Andrew and others who've been behind, behind the Whakarangamai um, initiative and we have this formal prayer in the service every, every week. We didn't used to do that. It's fantastic. We need that. We need to do that together. We need to do it individually. Pray with others. Pray, pray by yourself. And I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm too atavistic. So my best times of prayer is when I'm walking alone. And I'm out on the hills, and there's God in me. And it's fantastic. But whatever, whatever suits you, make a habit of it. A habit, notice. Um, pray with others. Have a prayer partner. Be part of a small group. Pray in church. It's one of the best habits you will ever adopt. And make, make Bible reading and prayer part of your family. Part of the things you do, and the problem is, and this is a problem in our house as well, we don't often even sit down to meals very often anymore, but we always used to, used to um, say thank you for the food. In my, in my family, my extended family, one of the neat things that, I, that we have, and the musical, uh, musical traditions of Scripturean, Scripturean camps of singing Singing grace has become a wonderful part of our tradition. You know, we, we, we sing to the tune of um, Oh for a Thousand Tongues to Sing, and you can do three-part harmonies, and it's wonderful. It's just a, a tradition that's part of our family. Cultivate those things, whatever it is that your family does. Do you read the Bible at meals? I know we used to have, Penelope had a, a, a little tear-off thing that, that had... Um, Bible readings that we used for a while and when there were lots of visitors in our home um, that's what we did next, next slide continue in fellowship with others that's why the church is so important it's very easy to say oh yeah well I'm a Christian but I don't need church anymore we do we need one another we need one another to iron sharpens iron. We need to have fellowship. We need to cry together. We need to discuss things together. We need to encourage one another. We need to support one another and work for one another. Don't be a church hopper. You know, I, I think I've said here, think about how and why God led you to, to, to a church, this church. And be sure that if you leave, it, it's, it's with the same certain guidance not just because you disagreed with 
you know, you, you have a tiff against someone in the congregation or you don't like what the pastor said or you didn't like the music. Be sure where God is leading you. Think carefully about what it means to keep the Sabbath. Does it mean anything anymore? That's a habit. Now, there's a whole theology of that which Rob would, would um, exegete much better than I could, and I don't have time. But what does it mean? I'll tell you what it meant for, for me in my day, luckily, and I was older. It meant my kids would not take on a sport where they regularly had training or competition on a Sunday. I actually am related to Michael Jones, the great Sir Michael Jones, who refused to play on Sunday. Now, we've gone from Michael Jones to my small efforts, and now I don't envy parents where the whole of sport is, is on Sunday and work is on Sunday, and it's very difficult to have this, this idea of the Sabbath rest, and we need, a, we need a sermon on that. But it's a habit. It's a habit that we need to get into. Next slide. Be a, be a habitual servant. I am deeply impressed, and I'm not going to name them to embarrass them, but there are a couple, at least a couple of people that I observe in this church who have the habit of servanthood, and it's unbelievable what they do, what they do here, and it's 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 an encouragement. Uh, it's fantastic to see people who do do this kind of thing. Develop the habit of ser servanthood, and Patty, you were talking about evangelism. I didn't actually have this on the slide, but on Friday, uh, my son Nick put me in touch with a guy who was about my age from who lives down the street from him and I didn't know anything about him but I took him out to Pycock and we did the Pycock Ariki Escarpment Walk which is one of my favourites and, and as we were walking of course as you do you got chatting and he asked me about life and, and, and I was able to tell him uh, how I became a Christian and, and why I still believed and, and I got an email from him yesterday saying thanks so much for that taking me and he said by the way um, can you tell me where I can get a copy of C.S. Lewis's book Miracles which is the one I had uh, recommended to him so you know that, that wasn't I wasn't trying to evangelise someone it was just a, a normal sharing of, of walking ideas as we were, as we were walking along, walking's great because you can, you can solve all the, all the problems in the world while you're walking and one of the habits and that's why I wanted to finish with this. One of the habits we do, and we are, are really encouraged to do, if you can flick onto the next slide, is to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We were commanded to do this. And so that's why I upset everybody by having communion out of, um, out of sequence today. But I, I, I wanted to do it because it's part of what, what it's one habit we are, we are encouraged to develop. And just as a preparation... For this, I'd like us all to recite together what is called in the Presbyterian Church, where I grew up, and the Anglican Church, the Prayer of Humble Access. And short commercial break, it's featured in my new novel. <laughs> in Tereo. So let's, let's recite this together as we prepare ourselves to celebrate the Lord's table. We do not presume to come to your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own goodness, but in your all-embracing love and mercy. We are not worthy even to gather up the crumbs under your table, but it is your nature always to have mercy. So feed us with the body and blood of Jesus Christ, your Son, that we may forever live in him and he in us. Amen.
And we do this because we were commanded to, and as Paul says in that well-known passage, um, next, next slide, you can read it as I, as I read it. You, you can just look at it. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, how the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, gave thanks for it, and broke it in pieces, saying, This is my body, that is for you. Keep doing this in memory of me. And he did the same with the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink from it, keep doing this in memory of me. Notice, keep doing this in memory of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So that's what we're doing. We're proclaiming the Lord's death and resurrection. So I'd like you to just, in your own time, um, come up and take communion. If I'd been better organised, I would have organised some music for while we're doing it, but we can do it in silence, that's fine. So just in your own time. (laughs) 